Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Good evening. It's lovely to see you. I love coming to this church. And if this is your first time here and you think people are being especially welcome, well, they're not. This is just normal. People are really friendly here. And uh, I know Dave's been, uh, been a bit of a Grinch about Christmas coming too early, um, but behind that tough exterior is a lovely heart of gold. And uh, I've never seen so many candles in one person's house uh, than today. So he loves Christmas, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic place to celebrate Christmas here uh, this year, so do come again. Well, this parable that Jesus told is a really interesting one it opens some important themes that will help us understand what it means to be a Christian. Uh, And I think the Christmas story is all about the theme that's here in the middle of this parable. Uh, And to kind of help you see that, I want to show you a little film uh, that we've been showing in all the services today. Uh, I'd like to tell you you're at the premiere of this film, but we did show it this morning. So you're the first night premiere that there's been in Scotland so far in 2017. And uh, the film was made by a friend of mine uh, who who would love to help the work that we do. I I run a charity trying to find foster carers and adopted parents for children in the care system um, as part of an expression of Christian love and mercy. And uh, he's a single guy. He's not in a position at the moment to be able to foster and adopt. So what he does is he gives us his time for a bargain rate. 
and uh, see, see what you make of the film. Um, if you think to yourself, you know what, I'd love to become a foster parent or an adoptive parent or find out more about that. I've got a whole team of people at the back that would love to talk to you. Or if you watch this film and you're inspired how you might have some skills or gifts that you could help us spread the message with, then let us know. There's a little uh, card that you can fill in uh, to tell us about that. But with no more ado, let me show you the Home for Good Christmas film. Here we go. It was 11 o'clock at night and there's a knock at the door. I'm still living at home, I'm 14 years old and I'm living with mum and dad. Somehow my mum gets to the door first and she opens it to reveal a huge man taking up the entire door frame. He's got a crazy story to tell. He's just arrived in England from Germany into Gatwick Airport. And as he's passing through customs, he realises he has something to declare. His undying love for the girl that he's been spending the entire journey speaking to. The only problem is this is the dark ages, before Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter, he hasn't even got her phone number. So there he is, in Brighton, going door to door. He's intent on visiting 120,000 homes until he finds her. My mum hears this story and decides to welcome him in, makes him a hot mug of cocoa, and then says, well, why don't you have a bed for the night? This is bad news for me because my bedroom door is opposite the lounge where this strange man is gonna be sleeping. So I take every single bit of furniture that I can move and I build a barricade to keep this guy out of my room. And I'm under the covers and I've got my little Swiss army penknife for protection. Somehow I survive the night. I wake up the next morning. I'm still alive. I haven't been murdered in my sleep. As I unbarricade the door, I realise all my worldly possessions are still there. And so is this huge German man. My mum makes him a hearty breakfast and then sends him on his way, on his quest to find the girl of his dreams. I think about that story every time I go to one of my kids' nativity plays. You know how the story goes. It's the middle of the night and they're going door to door, trying to find somewhere for the bedraggled Mary and the sweaty Joseph and sometimes a pantomime donkey to find rest for them. But they hear it over and over again. There's no room, there's no room at the inn. I like to believe if I was there in Jesus' day, I'd have made sure there was space, not just in my outhouse or the, the shed or the stable, but room in my home for the Son of God to be born, to be the saviour of the world. Or maybe when Jesus is a refugee running from Herod and trying to escape into Egypt, I'd have made space in my life for him. Or when he's hungry or thirsty or needing shelter later in his life, I'd have made sure he'd have been okay. I'd have made the room. But my track record tells a different story. I'm better at building barricades than I am at welcoming the wanderer. And yet Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. In other words, the test of whether we've understood the Christmas story is whether we'll make room in our lives for the vulnerable. Will we welcome them in and give them the help that they need? Because when we do, we welcome Jesus. Our family never heard from that German man again. I like to believe there's a German-English couple living happily ever after thanks to the love of a little Indian woman who offered hospitality to a stranger when he needed it most.
Well, I hope you like that. If you did, follow us on social media and let's spread the word that Christmas is about hospitality. In fact, there's a theme all the way through the Bible that God at his very heart is a hospitable God. Think about it. I remember when my first child was born. We were in a hospital in Warwick. I was over the moon and I wanted to invite everybody to come and see this brand new baby that had come into our lives. Yes, he had a funny shaped head because it had been an awkward delivery. Uh, I was the one that asked the midwife. I said, well, we'll love him anyway, but will he always have an egg shaped head? And uh, she comforted me that no, he wouldn't, but I still wanted the world to meet him. And I would have happily gone to the highways and byways and found strangers to drive into the maternity unit to show my child to. My wife wasn't so keen on having strangers visit her in the maternity unit. And uh, I think she's quite sympathetic with Mary in the Christmas story. Because when Jesus was born, random strangers turn up, don't they? Think about those smelly shepherds. They weren't hygienically clean, ready to enter a makeshift maternity unit. They were strangers. They were suspect. Many people weren't very happy with the shepherds. They saw them as uh, the equivalent of the ancient world's travelers and gypsies. But God says to strangers on a hillside that they were welcome. Come and see this born, this child that was born to be the king of the world. And not long after, we're not sure how many months or years it was, but there were some other visitors that came from the east. They were foreigners, and in the ancient world in Israel, foreigners were treated, uh, again, with great suspicion. Many Jews would have thought that Gentiles were ceremonially unclean. But still, the wise men, we're not sure how many there were, were welcomed to meet the baby Jesus. Right from the beginning of his life, Jesus is demonstrating the hospitality of God, that it doesn't matter who you're, where you're from, who you are, what your ethnicity is, you are welcome to meet Jesus, welcomed into the family. Those visitors from the east, they brought three gifts with them, and they were odd gifts, weren't they? Odd gifts to give people in poverty. Do you remember Mary and Joseph were too poor to buy their way in to an inn, and so end up having a very funny place to have a child with only a manger for a crib. And yet they brought gold from the east. They brought frankincense, which is a funny, funny kind of aromatic smelling gum. But the weirdest gift they were given was myrrh. Myrrh was a gift that was normally associated with death. Imagine if someone turns up at a funeral with a party popper. That would be an odd thing to bring. Or someone comes to a baby shower with a commiseration card. That's what it would have felt like for someone to bring myrrh to Jesus, the baby boy. But somehow those visitors understood that this child that was born in a manger was born to live and then to die for the sins of the world. And they're hinting at it even at that very, very moment. Now zoom in with me back to this passage in Luke chapter 10, the good Samaritan. This is probably one of the most famous stories about hospitality, isn't it? We talk about when people do good things for other people. Oh, he was a real good Samaritan. But you need to know how controversial this passage was when Jesus first spoke this parable. A good Samaritan was an oxymoron to most Jewish people, like black light or country music. <laughs> okay, that was unfair, wasn't it? But 
people would have seen them as an instant contradiction, that you couldn't have a good Samaritan. Maybe they would say a good Samaritan, the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. But Jesus has this parable that unlocks what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of God. And I want to zoom in on it as we get ready to celebrate the baptisms tonight. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open it and follow along. I'm going to read from page 1041, Luke chapter 10. Listen to the context of this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. You know you're in trouble when a human being is standing up to test the man that we believe to be God in human form. This is not going to end well. Look what he says. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. The problem is already there in the question. Some of us here are old enough to have children. Some of us here are old enough to have grandchildren. Imagine one of the grandchildren came up to us and said, Granny, what must I do to get a bit of your inheritance? Do you see how the question is wrong to begin with? An inheritance isn't something that you earn It's the gift that's given freely, isn't it? It's what Dave was talking about earlier when he talked about grace that C.S. Lewis mentioned. Christians don't believe there's anything you can do to earn an inheritance from God, to be welcomed into the family. It's a gift. Let me give you an illustration. That egg-shaped headed boy grew up and he he became a toddler and then a five-year-old. And I was out preaching Um, at a church in London and uh, there was going to be a morning service and then an evening service and there wasn't going to be enough time to go home between the services so I was going to be wearing my Sunday best for the whole day and we decided in the afternoon to go for a walk around a lake and my five-year-old went bombing off as fast as he could running ahead of us and he he fell over and he went diving head first into a massive muddy puddle and In went a child, and out came the creature from the Black Lagoon. He was just an amorphous blob of mud with just eyes that recognised him as a human being. And he shouted as loud as he could. Do you know what he shouted? Daddy! What was the thing that that boy wanted most in his life at that moment? A hug. What was the last thing on this planet that I wanted to give him? So I tried patting him on the head. It'll be all right. It'll be fine. Just using one finger, you know, minimising the contact with the Black Lagoon material. But a hug was all that he would receive to calm him down. And so this little black blob hugs me. And, And I make it all all right. And he stops crying. And then I peel him off. And I've got this like silhouette of mud all over me, which looks like a child has been grabbing my waist. And there's no time to go back to church, so I have to tell the story. But in that moment, in that hug, as I welcomed this little muddy boy, I tasted something of what the Bible talks about when it talks about grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does already. No matter how many good deeds you do, how many kids you foster or adopt, how much money you give to the poor, God could not love you any more than he does at this moment. Whatever your history, whatever your background, whatever you've got yourself into, whatever's been done to you, that embrace from God says you're welcome 
just as you are. But, if you met my boy now, he's 18, he's just gone to university, he's studying maths and physics uh, at a, a university near Coventry. And uh, if you met him now, and he was still covered in the same mud that he was when he fell over at five years old, you wouldn't think I was a brilliant parent. I loved him enough to embrace him in the mud. But as soon as I could, I got him home. And we put him in a shower, and we got as much of that mud off of him as possible. Why? Because we wanted him to shine. We wanted the world to see what a great little boy he was. And so when God accepts you in your brokenness, in your sin, just like he has done all the candidates tonight, and me and Dave and the rest of us that claim to follow Jesus, he loves us as we are. But he says, I love you so much, I want to bring transformation. What does that transformation look like? Well, let me show you in this parable. This man that's got his question wrong. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wrong question. Eternal life is a gift of grace from a loving God. But this man, he's not ready for that. So Jesus throws a question at him. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? This is a great question. There are over 630 laws in the Old Testament. How is this man going to summarize the Old Testament law? Verse 27. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That is a brilliant summary of 630 laws in the Old Testament with just two. Love God and love your neighbor. That's an excellent summary. If he was uh, sitting for his uppers in theology, he would be getting an A star. This is an absolutely brilliant response. And Jesus says, verse 26, well done, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The man's going, okay, I know this stuff in theory, that's great. Love God, love your neighbor. If you're saying I've got to do this to live, I'm in serious trouble. But he's not quite ready to admit defeat. And so he says in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This man is looking for a kind of get out of jail free card. He's, he's after a way that he can be excused from offering love to certain groups of people. He wants to know who's in and who's out. In means, well, maybe I need to love the other members of my biological family. That's, that's my neighbor. Or, or maybe in means I, I need to love other Jewish people. Or, or maybe in means I need to love people of a certain, I don't know, economic background. How is Jesus going to respond to the question of who is your neighbor? Well, here he goes with the most fa famous parable that he probably ever spoke. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, I wonder what the crowd was expecting to happen. A priest, a vicar, a cleric, a member of the paid staff of his local congregation. What's going to happen? Well, he saw the man and he walked by on the other side of the road. You can hear a little cheer from those people that think, you know, those religious types, they get all a bit kind of uppity and think themselves better than everyone else. Jesus doesn't think that. So who's going to be the second person walking down the road? 
Look what he says. So too, verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a, uh, So here we go. We've got two professional Christians, one a priest, one an expert who knows all the details of the law. They are not loving their neighbor. They're just walking by on the other side. Maybe they thought religion was just something you did at certain times of the day. You know, when they're on duty, when they're in church, uh, when they've read the Bible, when they go to small group. Maybe that's it. I've, I've done my religious duty. I'm off the hook now. That isn't the kind of religion that God is looking for. Just a show. Just certain times. You see, becoming a Christian doesn't just affect some of your time or some of your money or some of your dreams. Becoming a Christian changes everything about you. It's a little bit like the difference between Batman and Spider-Man. You familiar with the difference? You know, Batman, he's Batman when he puts the suit on, isn't he? He's Batman when he's got a, a tool for the job. If he's going to go into water, he's going to have an underwater mask to help him breathe underwater. He's going to have a net if he gets in trouble, but he's maybe a grappling hook or a batarang. But he's Batman when he's got the suit on. Spider-Man. When is Spider-Man Spider-Man? Spider-Man is Spider-Man all the time because he's been bitten by a radioactive spider. That means his entire DNA is different. He's in the school dinner queue and someone's picking on him from behind. It's all right. He's Spider-Man. And so he can see the person that's coming to hit him and he can be ready to respond at any moment because he's had a shift in his very being. That's not a bad picture of what it means to be a Christian. The priest and the Levite, they've got a Batman idea. I'm only religious when I'm in church or I've got the uniform on. But another man comes walking down the hill and he's had a Spider-Man encounter. He's different all the time. Never mind he's not on duty. He sees the man. Look how he responds. Verse 32, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, he'd want him to say Samaritan. But he's so angry, he can't even say Samaritan. He just says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? There's no way any of us can earn our way into inheritance from God. That's not how it works. And if this is the standard of love that God wants us to have, we're all going to fail. But Jesus says, look, once you've received grace from God, once you've received the goodness and mercy and forgiveness of God, it changes you. It changes everything about you. And so now wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whether you're in church or at home or at work, you're trying to look for opportunities to demonstrate that same grace onto other people. That's the difference. And that's why it's really appropriate that people are going to get into a pool of water. They're going to go down under the surface because it's not just a bit of them that's changed everything's different. They come out as a symbol that they were once one way and now they've been transformed by the grace of God. 
and they want the world to know about it. And maybe you're here and you think, this can't be for me. I'm too bad. You don't know my history. I'm not even sure about this stuff. I want to say, as you hear their stories, and maybe as you think about the Christmas story, I want you to hear that God is offering you a welcome. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, God wants to embrace you in your brokenness, in your, in your sin, and transform you into the person that you were meant to be. It's an incredible thing to be welcomed into the family of God. And tonight, we hope you get a little taste of that from this meeting. But it's just the beginning of a way of life where you say to God, I am available to show your grace to anyone that's in need.